Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 15, 2015. The share ID for Friday, November 13, is 8196. That's 8196. This morning, A Vision for You presents A New World Came Into View. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, an inward rearrangement that actually transforms us. We have a profound alteration in our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and towards the world around us as a result of our new spiritual condition. The result of the 12-step process is change. We are changed in the way we think. We are changed in the way we feel. And especially, we are changed in the way we behave. Usually, this is a gradual process, not a dramatic event. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of our lives, are cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions, ideas, and attitudes begin to dominate us. We have been taken out of the world of selfishness and self-centeredness and into a spiritual way of life, and a new world comes into view. This morning, we have four panelists sharing their new vision with us. This morning, panelist number one, Amy G. from Maryland. Panelist number two, Cliff C. from Texas. Panelist three, Deb W. from Oklahoma. And panelist number four, Katie F. from Virginia. So let's get started with panelist number one, Amy G. from Maryland. Thanks, Amy. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. I'm just trying to set my timer here. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you. Hello, everyone on the line. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland, and I'm so grateful to be here today, and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to share um, share this incredible journey of spiritual transformation. But first, let me backtrack a minute on and how I even got started in that process. Um, I came to Overeaters Anonymous in March of 83, and after almost five years just beaten and pummeled by this disease, I can't tell you I knew the intricacies of the twofold nature of the disease, the mental obsession and the physical allergy, but I knew I knew three things. One was when I put certain ingredients, sugar, flour, volume, high fat, foods into my body, I started craving and I could not stop eating and putting more and more and more. And two, no matter what I wanted, willed, or desired, or knew, and I stress knew, I could not stop putting the food in my mouth. You know, they say this is a disease where you can't stop from starting and you can't stop once you start. Those five years in OA were torture for me, absolute torture. I joke about it sometimes when I say OA is like the mafia. Once you get in, you never get out because you know too much and it ruins your binges. Well, that's what I did for those almost five years is trying to fight with what I thought I knew and using my knowledge to fix it, using half measures, working the 12 steps buffet style and struggling with my agnosticism. I couldn't take myself out of the driver's seat. Number three, I thought food was the problem. 
And I learned, and it turns out, that food was only the answer. The problem was me. It talks about it in page 23 on in the big book, and there is a solution. It says, these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting in the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic, and for me it's a compulsive overeater, centers in his mind rather than his body. We've heard again and again on the lines and vision for you that a sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. And that's where I was with this disease. It talks about the bedevilments on page 52 of the big book. And this was the person who I was before coming and changing into the person that I am today by the grace of God and this program and its 12 steps. It says we were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. This was, this was who I was. I was 22, and my entire reaction to life was to pick up the food and put it in my mouth. Again, I'm a bit of a slogan junkie or a, slay, a saying junkie, and, and, and it says here, you know, when I came to a fork in the road, I picked up the fork. That's what I did. My entire reaction to life was trying to fill the hole in my soul with a knife and a fork. And I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and finally, five years in, dying and desperate and doomed by this disease, I was presented with a solution, a different option, and that was to put the food down and to pick up the steps. It was a crash course on changing and letting go of who I was and what I thought I knew and surrendering to a higher power. I needed a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. How was that going to happen? You know, what was I going to do? And I had to learn how to align my will with God's will. And I was desperate enough. They call it the gift of desperation. And that's what I had. I had to be willing to take action and take instruction. I was willing to have my ego reduced and being told what I needed to do. I had to be willing to be separated from my binge foods. You know, it talks about aligning our will with God's, and I have to do that every day today in living in the solution. It talks about it here on page 40 in the AA 12 and 12. All by himself and in the light of his own circumstances, he needs to develop the quality of willingness. When he acquires willingness, he is the only one who can make the decision to exert himself. Trying to do this is an act of his own will. All of the 12 steps require sustained and personal exertion to conform to their principles, and so we trust to God's will. It is when we try to make our will conform with God's that we begin to use it rightly. To all of us, this was the most wonderful revelation. Our whole trouble had been the misuse of willpower. We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. Boy, and I took that page and I, and I lived by it. I used whatever it was you told me to do and I took action, you know. And, and let me stop for a second and talk about abstinence. I know and I have learned that this program is not just about my abstinence. But Joe, a few weeks ago on a special edition, I mean, said it so succinctly that it is a prerequisite it talks about on page 85 in the big book that we have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Part of my commitment to my daily spiritual fitness is to make sure that my food is in order by accepting who and what I am and the limitations that that requires. I am a compulsive overeater. There are certain substances. There are certain boundaries around my food that I need to have on a daily basis to be separated 
from my physical allergy and not trigger the mental obsession. That is an absolute essential. I cannot have a personality change if I am still eating. I cannot have two gods, God and food, at the same time. If I am to stay connected through the 12 steps to my higher power, I have to have the food down. It has to be in order, and I cannot be using my substance. That is my acceptance and my spiritual fitness on a daily basis. Yes, there is so much more to it than that, but it has to start. For me, it has to start there on a daily basis. So, yes, it's not about the food, but I'm telling you, as I live my life and as I have transformed by the grace of God in these 12, these 12 steps, there's two things that I have learned that are my anchor in life's ups and downs and circumstances. If I'm able to work this program, there's two things. I want to make sure that my food is in order so that I can stay connected to my higher power, to my God, whom I choose to call my higher power, through the steps. It's not one or the other. It is both. It says on page 83 that spiritual life is a theory. We have to live it. So what happened for me? You know, it says we're on this process, as Leah was saying earlier. You know, it says, again, if we go to page 83, it says here, yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. This is the sentence after the idea of the tornado roaring through where the guy comes up and there's devastation everywhere and he says, hey, any grand, the wind ain't blowing. You know, for me, this transformation was a process. It was a long period of reconstruction. And that spiritual life and willingness had to, uh, that willingness for me to transform spiritually had to happen. So for me, at 22, I had to get, I had to get up on my butt. I had to look for a job. I had to find a place to live. I had to ask for instructions from those who had gone before, from you all who had recovered. I continued to work step six and seven. This is the process I'm talking about after having worked through the cleaning up in the past, you know, working through the 12 steps. How do I live in steps 10, 11, and 12? And for me, you know, I came up against my first crisis. You know, how was I going to really react when life hit the fan? And I had gotten a job. I had moved out, and I was laid off. I had to learn how to deal with this scenario. What was I going to do? And the first miracle is that I did not go running and looking for the first Dunkin' Donuts. The first miracle was that I picked up the phone and I asked, how was I going to traverse this circumstance? To me, what was this crisis? How was I going to do differently? When my reaction was, my gut reaction was fear, terror, bewilderment. You know, how am I going to support myself? And instead, you all showed me the way through the steps of how I would go through this. And it's a good thing I did learn how because I was to be laid off through no fault of my own three more times in my working professional career. And for me, when I looked through this, getting preparation for this talk, to me it boiled down to each of these circumstances coming down to a couple of things. For me, I need to keep it simple, folks. <laughs> I just need to keep it simple. And for me, in these circumstances and learning how to deal with life on life's terms instead of reaching for the food was to accept the situation, to trust God, and to act, you know, to, to an action and service. So it was accept, trust, act, and service. You know, by the grace of God, having worked the 12 steps, the food did not call to me anymore. I was not dealing with a mental obsession. I had been relieved. I had been restored to sanity. That is the miracle of this program and working through the steps. It doesn't mean I didn't think about it. But I didn't act out on it because I was relieved of the insanity by the grace of God and these 12 steps. And you'll hear me say that a lot. That's my mantra, by the grace of God and these 12 steps. 
So how did I go through that crisis? I was taught how to go through the strikes by accepting the fact that I didn't like it, but I had lost my job. Trusting God had my back, that I would be provided for, and then acting out and what I needed to do. What action steps did I need to do? I needed to go look for work. I needed to re-update my resume. I needed to trust God. And then I needed to give service. I can't tell you much. I can't tell you how much service has saved my butt as I've learned to change in this program and trust trust God and life circumstances just as they are. It says nothing ensures immunity from drinking than giving service. And it says that in the working with others, the first paragraph. I can't even begin to tell you how much it has helped to get out of my head when I'm fearful or worried by picking up the phone and calling another still suffering compulsive overeater, giving service, opening a meeting, bringing the coffee, whatever was necessary, carrying the message, talking to newcomers. That service was essential and still is today. So I had to accept, I had to trust, I had to act, take action steps, and I gave service. I made it through that. I learned how. I learned how. Next circumstances were dealing with family, coworkers. I could say the big things that stand out for me was a step nine go wrong with my brother who didn't talk to me for two years and a coworker that took an immediate dislike to me at my second job. Immediate dislike. Again, I was referred to by those who recover in the big book, talking on page, again, 83 and 84. It talks about each morning in meditation, we ask for tolerance, kindness, love, patience. Page 84, love and tolerance is our code. I had to learn how to be loving and tolerant and patient regardless of how they treated me. My mantra at that point, and still use it quite often today, is bless them, change me. Bless them, change me. I couldn't change them, but I had to learn how to change myself. I had to learn how to pray for the sick person. Pray for them constantly. They said pray for like two or three weeks for that person. And eventually my attitude and my thoughts towards her changed, and guess what? Their attitude and their actions towards me began to change. It was a transformation. I did nothing but work on my own program, and by doing so, they changed their actions towards me. That doesn't always happen that way, but I was at peace with it. I was at peace. I had a circumstance where I was on vacation in Switzerland. Switzerland. This was many years ago, before we had the Internet, before I had a cell phone, any of those things. I had my beloved uncle drop dead of a stroke at my feet in, with my family at the dinner table in Switzerland on vacation. How was I going to cope with this kind of first terrible loss in recovery for me? You know, my brothers went out to drink. My sister went out to smoke a cigarette. Pretty sure my other brother went out to get high. What was I going to do? What, and you know... This is where the tools came to the fore for me. You know, sometimes I feel tools get a bit of a bad name and, you know, get a bad name. But to me, the tools are how I, I work the steps. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. When I picked up a piece of paper and a pen because I needed to write like crazy about how I was feeling about this death and this loss, that was how I used the tools. That was how I worked my steps, how I surrendered and accepted the situation as it was. I had to, you know, I tried to use the phone, but I... I couldn't get through. You know, I prayed. I meditated. I used I used literature. Another tool, I used literature. I mean, those were tools. Tools are how I work the steps. And they are how I stay connected to my higher power, to the fellowship, and to my program. They are not mutually exclusive. Tools alone will not get me there. I get that. But tools are part of how I work my program. And I continued to change. 
you know, step 10, they talk about step 10. It's an invaluable process for me in using on a day-to-day basis. It's what helped me understand what was going on underneath. You know, that saying is, if it's historical, if it's hysterical, it's historical. And I had to learn how to separate what were my feelings that were causing angst and what was the reality of the situation. And step 10 helped me to get to the bottom of that. I'll give you an example. I was engaged. I was getting married. I was a month and a half, I think it was two months away from the wedding. We had the reception. We had the dress, the invitations, down payment on the area, everything. And I realized through you all's help and the work of these 12 steps, particularly my step 10, that I was more in love with being married than I was with the person I was getting married to. So with you all's help, I called off the wedding. And I had to trust. I had to accept that this was not the right situation nor the right man for me. I had to trust God that I would be all right whether I ever got married or ever met the right person. And I had to take action, which was to move out from where I was and move back home and start again. Eight months later, I met the man that I've been married to now for 17 years and my two wonderful children that I have. But that was the process I had to go through. I had to understand and learn and trust that God would take care of me. And in this process, I'm changing. I am transforming. I am spiritually believing more and more and more. Whatever last vestiges of, uh, of agnosticism were slowly peeled away as I suited up and showed up and God came with me. You know that saying, pray to God, row to shore. I took the action step by using my will and aligning it with what I believe God's will was for me every day. And then I suited up and showed up, and God showed up in miraculous and awesome ways. You know, but life still happens. You know, nothing humbles me with my character defects more than with my children. It is, it's been a long process, and I think one of the biggest things for me learning about with, with children, and particularly now with teenagers, is pause. You know, someone said it so succinctly and broke down the pause, which is pause, stands for pause and use spiritual energy. And for me, the short version of that is just shut your mouth. (laughs) Do not speak. I'm trying to learn to not speak and or yell until I close my mouth and I separate my feelings from what it is I need to be saying. And that's been a long process for me, and it is an ongoing process for me. And it's certainly progress, not perfection. I know for a fact I have a former sponsor, my current sponsor on the line with me right now that knows that I am not perfect at this. And this has been a long process for me, and it still is. But God has shown up for me, and I am doing, I'm doing the best I can through these steps. My two biggest fears in my life have been physical pain and insecurity. I would say these have been the two biggest blocks in my life, huge fears for me, physical pain and, inse- and financial insecurity. And the saying in the rooms is that God doesn't give you anything one day sooner than when you're ready to handle it. And I can tell you I was not ready for either one of these scenarios, not one day sooner. And um, I had an injury about five years ago that um, I was in so much pain with my back that I thought I would never get off the couch. I wound up having to have surgery. Seven weeks later, I wound up laying flat on my back in excruciating pain for about seven weeks. I can't even begin to tell you that pain that I went through. And I really had to struggle with letting go and accepting, just like I had to accept that I was powerless over food. This was the biggest acceptance issue for me to hit since recovery. How was I going to accept? Was I going to struggle with the whys and the angst of why that it had happened, or was I going to try to get through 
And the biggest thing, you all came through, always, you know, you're like, you all in the fellowship there recover like God with skin on. There were two words that my sponsor gave to me, press in, press into God, press into God. He will not fail you, he will not let you go. And I had to trust because I knew my options were only that. That's what this program has taught me, and that's what the transformation has been for me, that I know that food is not the option. Now, I was on a lot of pain meds, and I don't know if I was dreaming or if I, if I, um, you know, if it was really a dream or whatever, but I had a dream that I was presented in terrible pain, two options. One was to die, and the other was to pick up the food. And I woke up feeling in my heart that God had said to me that food is not the option. We will get through this. That I would rather die than pick up the food. And I don't mean to be dramatic here or anything, but that's the core of it for me. I know who and what I am. I accept that, and I know that it's only by the grace of God and trusting that God that I stay where I am. And that when I do that, I can take action that aligns my will with God, and miracles occur. So I get through this five years later, and then three years later, I had the second one, fear of financial insecurity. A scenario that I never dreamed possible, and this was over a two-year period, uh, the scenario with my husband and a partner, and the partner went, went rogue. I don't know how else to explain it. There were accusations of, of embezzlement, uh, fear of, of uh, jail, my husband being put in jail, lawyer's fees, legal scenarios, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. This is a scenario that went on for over two years. This was me having to trust in a way that I never dreamed possible. And you talk about resentment. It talks about in the big book that resentment had the power to kill, that it was fatal, and that in order for us to live, we had to be free of anger. This was step work that I had to do very, very intensely and very diligently when it came to dealing with my feelings towards this partner and being able to support my husband without going insane. How was I to function on a daily basis under this level of stress? And I had to learn that, I had to learn some things. I had to learn about prayer. Okay, so my time is almost up here, so let me wrap up. I had to learn to thought stop. I had to learn to not go down the black hole of fear. I had to trust in step three in a way that I never dreamed possible. And I made a lot of phone calls to you all. I did fourth and fifth steps specifically on this person. I had to trust because I was afraid. It says resentment has the power to kill. I understood that. It's a poison you take hoping that it kills the other person. It did not serve me to be hateful and angry towards this man. It did not serve me to take his inventory. It did not serve me to help my husband. If I was angry, I couldn't be present for him to help him. So I had to let go and I had to trust and I had to accept. You know, we've gone through that process now. We're at the tail end of it. And I can tell you that God has showed up for me. This program and these 12 steps have got me through. And it's been an absolute miracle how things have changed. You know, I've talked to you mostly here about all the things and different circumstances that have happened and trials and tribulations. But, you know, I can tell you that my life is full to overflowing with blessings. I'm just another bozo on the bus like you all. I work this program one day at a time. But if we work it like our lives depend upon it, I can tell you that I am an example of that. I'm an example of these instructions. It says we have a common solution upon which we can entirely agree on. It's, it's common. It's, it's, it's just the instructions. We just follow it. We just work it. We trust God. I can tell you that I have learned 
two major things in living in this solution and having this personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. I've learned two things. One, that not all of my problems have been in my life in recovery, have been of my own making, but my response to them must be the same. Or I go crazy, or I go back to the food. It has to be that I accept it, that I trust God, that I take action, and that I give service. That is how I work all of this program. And it has served me for the last 27, almost 28 years of my life in this program. And the last thing I will say, you know, it talks about in the big book that the most satisfactory years of our lives are ahead. It's page 152 in the chapter of Vision for You. I can tell you that is true. I never dreamed possible that I would have the life that I have today. I am not always as peaceful as I want to be, but I am content. I am content. I will know the word serenity and I will know peace. The promises have come true and are continuing to come true in my life today. For me, and I'll just end on this, it is to better to walk, it is for me, better to walk in the unknown with my God, the God that I have learned over these years has unqualified power and goodness than it is to walk in any other way that I think I knew before or I know now. It is better to walk in the unknown with my God and this program and these 12 steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Amy G. Now I welcome Cliff C. to the line. Cliff, star one to unmute, please. This is Cliff. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Um, Wow, I am... uh, I am very grateful to be here, and uh, I thank you for this invitation. I thank you to God for for bringing me into the rooms of OA. Uh, just my name is Cliff, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I I came into the rooms just to give you a little bit of background for me. That I, I came into the rooms on April first, two thousand seven. Uh, I weighed about three hundred and eighty-five pounds, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I'm six foot three, and uh, today I weigh in the vicinity, you know, usually in a range of 195 to 200. So God removed uh, about 190 pounds, and uh, I I am so grateful for that. Uh, and I know it was God. I mean, you know, um, because because I never intended to be here. Uh, my my goal was uh, basically, uh, you know, I thought I was going to die. And uh, I am, let's see, I'm 62 now. So it was, uh, I was 53 when I started. And, uh, you know, supposedly big boned and and uh, uh, slow metabolism and all those things. And God removed that, uh, uh, that 190 pounds in the first 15 months that I was in program, and that was without surgery, without pills, uh, even without exercise. And I say that um, because for the seven years prior to that, I was doing what I thought I needed to do uh, to lose weight, as I tried so many, many times before, and and that was exercising. I was doing, I knew I was uh, uh, 
pretty heavy duty uh, overweight, so I knew I had to do something uh, pretty extreme. And so what was I doing? I was doing long distance athletic events. I was doing uh, 100 mile bicycle rides, uh, uh, marathons, half marathons, triathlons, um, weighing 380, 385 pounds. And I didn't lose weight, um, mainly because I only found out later that uh, I was trying to, uh, I was trying to be an exercise bulimic and, uh, and was not being very successful because I was, uh, um, you know, I was given permission to eat, uh, whether it was, if you want to call it uh, uh, carbohydrate loading or pasta parties or things of that nature, or you want to call it nutrition bars. Those are just all of that's a euphemism for binge eating or candy bars with fiber or protein in them, at least for me. Um, I, when I came into the room, I really didn't think there was any opportunity for me. Uh, I really didn't, didn't have any hope whatsoever. And I wish I could say that, uh, that everything was, uh, you know, that, that, that I understood everything from the very moment and, and I felt right at home. But that's just how dead I was uh, because I tried to run away. It wasn't until later on that I realized that uh, it was only by the hand of God that God reached in, that God, you know, I was at the very depths of the ocean and God reached down, cut me in his hand and brought me back to the last house on the block, put me in that room, put three angels in there, barricaded the door and said, there's the path, just follow it. And I still tried to break out. I still tried to run away from it. But, uh, but God had a way of, of, of just sharing with me, you know, and, and in that same sense, to the extent that that could have happened to me, for me, by him, it is always available to, to everyone. And, and I guess, again, when we're, when we're talking about aligning ourselves with God and doing these things and what's, what's happened in my life? Uh, what, what sort of changed behaviors? You know, I used to be, I used to get angry quite a bit. I would uh, be very manipulative, um, you know, getting my way. I would exercise passive aggressiveness and, uh, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, most recently, you know, um, I've, uh, been either um, underemployed or just, you know, doing what I needed to do. Uh, but also it, it was sort of the opportunity to, uh, to stay in program, to continue to do the things that I needed to do in program. And, um, uh, but, you know, as I, as I seek God's will, as I quiet myself and my self-will, then I am able to, uh, to, to sort of blend, understand what God wants me to do. And, uh, and for a long time, I really sort of ignored what he was saying. You know, I heard what he was saying, but I would ignore it. So, but, but lately, I have been trying to go to different, uh, um, different groups that are trying to uh, prevent childhood obesity. 
or uh, and trying to ascertain, trying to listen for what is God's will for me. And I have learned that uh, perhaps I can use my career as a uh, as a lawyer and my the gift of recovery uh, from God uh, to to help others. And uh, you know, certainly it is in trying to share my story, you know, because one of the things that I think of is that uh, it is it is much better to hear a and be persuaded by a story of recovery than a statistic of uh, of of damages. Uh, you know, uh, for myself, when I started this program, I had high blood pressure. I had, uh, you know, borderline diabetic, borderline um, uh, high cholesterol, all of those things. You know, uh, I, I have an irregular heartbeat. And uh, I went to my doctor and, you know, and, and of course I was on blood thinners and I went to this, you know, my cardiologist and I, I asked them, I said, well, you know, you're not supposed to be having certain foods when you're on blood thinners. Uh, And I said, well, if I know exactly how much of the particular uh, greens that I'm going to have, uh, can you adjust my my, uh, blood thinners? And they said, well, you know, no one's ever asked that. And and it wasn't me asking because I would never have asked because uh, anything that I ask about, I can get the answer I want. But uh, but God was the one that gave me that insight, gave me the question, what what emanated from my lips, and they said yes, and uh, uh, and so they did. And interestingly enough, uh, I say it somewhat tongue in cheek. But my cardiologist is probably the one who is most disappointed by the weight loss because instead of having to come in to see him once a month, uh, he has to send me a note once a year to uh, uh, to come in and remind me. And uh, you know, there there are so many things that, uh, as far as even myself, you know, uh, what what surprised me was a few months ago. Uh, I had a, uh, I was having an outreach call with someone and found out that there was another ism that I had. And I'm going, oh, you know, and before I used to run away from these things, uh, you know, because I didn't want to know about it. I wanted to hide from it. Uh, but instead, Uh, I was excited to know that there was a label and not only was there a label, there was a 12 step program, not that I have to do anything. You know, it's like my sponsor says, you know, Cliff, you can, you can be a member of, uh, uh, 10 different 12 step programs and do 120 steps, or you can just do the 12 steps in one program and which is what I do but for the fact that I, when I hear people like me, identify with them, then I get a better understanding of, of this disease and how it can uh, migrate 
from one behavior or substance to another. Um, and in that particular instance, rather than running away from something, I ran towards it. I wanted to understand it. Um, and it just, uh, it makes, I, I, I didn't understand that that was, I mean, I wasn't fearful of it. Um, I just keep doing that. You know, with respect to, to family, my, my wife and I, thank you God, next week, uh, next week, uh, well, actually one week from today will be our 35th wedding anniversary. I don't know how that happened. You know, she is wonderful. I have not, uh, you know, I guess in a way I had not appreciated her uh, until, you know, I was always wondering, um, uh, you know, gee, would it be better with this or that or the other? If only she would change. And the surprising thing, not surprising to, to, to people who are in recovery, she didn't change. I did. And everything got better. Everything got better. It's not perfect, but but everything gets better. Uh, I have a uh, a daughter whom I disagreed with on something, or actually it wasn't necessarily disagreement, but felt like uh, there was something. It was a very serious subject. There was something that um, God kept putting in my in my head that. I needed to say something because if I didn't say it and something happened later, they would be very upset with me too. And I had to find a way to do that. Um, I did say it because I can say things now, at least with the intent not to harm or hurt someone. How they take it is uh, entirely up to them. But as long as I am doing it, um, you know, as long as I am not doing it selfishly, dishonesty, dishonestly, out of resentment or out of fear, my own self-centered fear, then I know that I'm and that I'm doing it out of love. Then I know that uh, that I'm doing it because God's asking me to do these things, and uh, and that I can live with that. Well, as it turned out, it was a challenge. It did become a very much of a challenge. But I didn't feel the anxiousness or anxiety that I once had felt in under those circumstances, um, but instead felt, uh, you know, and over time, and it wasn't that long of a time. We're talking about a period of about a week. Uh, the the My daughter and her family, uh, at least understood or at least were willing to continue to grow. And, uh, and I would not have had that without this program. Without this program, um, you know, frankly, 10 years ago, I should have been dead. Uh, I am a different man today. Um, I have a, uh, a brother now, you know, who has been on dialysis for a year. He's in need of a kidney. I cannot donate. I was scared. I wanted to try. And, and the interesting thing was that I tried four times, in fact, to get the hospital if they would agree to take my kidney, but they would not, you know. And, uh, and, and not only that, though, but I had to go. I, I went to each one of my doctors, and 
every one of my doctors, including my cardiologist, gave me clearance to, to donate. Uh, they said, you're healthier than most of our patients, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and just the fact that I was willing to give is something, you know, I mean, I, I, I was a very selfish individual. Um, I love the, uh, the part, you know, frankly, and, you know, we read the promises at, uh, at so many different meetings, but the, uh, it is the, the promises, the, uh, the paragraph between the promises on page 84 that is the most powerful to me, you know, uh, and when it talks about this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Okay, now that I've entered the world of the spirit, what am I supposed to do? Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. So what am I doing? Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. And, um, you know, when I, when I answer, you know, uh, when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I'm in program, you know, I, and, and I, you know, it used to be, it, it started out just I'm abstinent and grateful. You know, and then it developed into I'm absolutely grateful, guided by, and one with God. You know, if it were not for this program, the fellowship, my wife, my sponsor, God, and people like you, I would be dead. So I have a lot to be thankful for, and I have to express that gratitude. And, you know, I, that, that sums up my, you know, this whole program. And because I get to repeat that, because I get to apply that in all aspects of my life, I get to be real. You know, when I was a, uh, I, I used to, I, I wrote a, a story once, and uh, everybody knows the story of Pinocchio, um, and uh, you know the story of this wooden boy that that uh, or puppet, and the strings that that are attached to him. And of course, uh, my story was not, uh, my story was about Pinocchio's uh, uh, stepbrother, uh, Polverosa. And, you know, since Pinocchio was made of wood, Polverosa was made of particle board. And uh, what particle board is just pressed, you know, sawdust. And, you know, if you've ever worked with, and I haven't that much, but if you've ever worked with particle board, you know that when it gets wet, it expands and, uh, and will crumble. And in that same sense, when Pinocchio gets to have his nose, when he lies, his nose gets long. Well, when Polverosa lies, his waist gets bigger. And, and that was me. That was me. You know, but the thing about it is, is that uh, uh, it says, you know, to have courage, you know, to, to tell the truth, and be authentic, and you become real, and uh, and that's what happens for me. You know, uh, this program is about becoming real. Um, I, you know, 
it, it is becoming real every day. Um, I, I cannot, uh, you know, I'm just astounded at uh, how much better life continues to get. And, uh, it, but it's not easy. Um, you know, but I no longer run the show. Uh, I, you know, when it, when it comes to some things, most things with my, with my wife and others, the question is, would I rather be right or would I rather be happy? Uh, you know, and, um, I'm just, uh, uh, I have a lot of gratitude. I have a lot of gratitude and I, I think my time is about up. So, uh, I just, again, I remind anyone that if it can happen for me and I was so, um, I was so deep in the, in the depths, uh, that, uh, you know, there was no way out. And by the way, I, I looked this up the other day. I saw that Pinocchio was actually, uh, uh, written and distributed actually in 1940, which was around the time that our mother 12 step program, uh, came about. And I do find that fascinating when you look at it from that perspective of uh, alcoholism or, you know, seeking pleasure and the like turned, turned me into an ass. Uh, and only through God's grace uh, have I become real, have those, uh, most of those strings are no longer attached and I can do, turn my will in my life over to the care of God as I understand him. Um, so, Thanks. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Cliff C. Now I welcome Deb W. to the line. Good morning. I'm Deb W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I thank you, Leah, for the opportunity to share this morning. I came into the program in 1988, got absent in 89, abstained for 17 years, relapsed, and struggled to get back. Uh, became abstinent with Big Book, approximately have been abstinent uh, two and a half years. I approached this talk with the thoughts that came to me when I contemplated the topic, a new world came into view. And I wanted not to read, but I wanted to remember my thoughts and have some order. And God is still working on my faith that that will be okay, not to try to control that. I believe in the sovereign, all-powerful God, sovereign meaning supreme, absolute, unlimited, unrestricted, boundless, ultimate, uh, total, unconditional, uh, who has a plan outlined in the Bible, my religious beliefs, and other inspired works, one being the big book. I simply believe and have always believed in God. I have a simple belief. Just like I, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to care of God, the most important part, as I understood him, which had to be rewritten in order for me to recover. No longer do I need to search for God. I understood and believe when the big book says, deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He is there. He was as much a fact as we were. 
we found a great reality within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. I was searching outside myself for him. When all along, he was within me. In the big book, the explanation was made simple. The direction made sense to me. There was a shift from the need to know everything before I could take a chance on this power. A simple God who hears my confessions and my willingness to turn them over, steps five, six, and takes them in step seven to remove every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness and then sends me out from here to do your bidding. What is that bidding? To love and help others through this work. My willingness, hope, and faith has been changed. My desire is to be closer, a yearning for a deeper dependence on him. This will never be completed in this lifetime. How do I come closer? How do I turn everything over? How do I yield to the drawing of the Holy Spirit? How do I do that? Steps 10 and 11, I took over, I look over my day, and if I lay my difficulties open before God, if I admit them, he responds. I see the old behaviors go away. If not completely, they lessen. I no longer want to be and do what Debbie wants, but what God would have me be and do. Do I do this perfectly? No, of course not. A day-to-day, minute-by-minute, dying of myself to receive the new self. I recall the emptiness and discomfort after completing step five. I had a keen awareness each time I contemplated to an old behavior, but a pause that gave me a place in between the old way and the ideal way of God. I saw the way, but I didn't know how to get there. I was at the door of the new me, the old ways on one side and a vision of a new way on the other. I felt lost. I couldn't incorporate it in me. It took a power greater than myself. And as time goes by, little by little, I see the principles of this program developing in me. The big book says we are building an arch which we shall walk, a free man at last. One of my favorite meditation CDs say, you will not have to look for the answer. You will know the answer. I know that I'm not here alone. I am aware of his presence. He is in my sleep. He gets up with me. When I lie down, he is there, in and around me. I talk with him constantly. I sense that he is interested in everything about me. I see God moving in my life, protecting, arranging, answering my prayers. God is where I am and all is well. I have given up the need to know why. It may be one experience at a time, but ultimately I don't have to have every question answered. I know bad things happen to good people. In this life experience, I will have joy and pain, never completely one or the other. What's important is what I choose to focus on. After the spiritual awakening of the steps, I understand my purpose. To know my purpose, to be of maximum service to others through sharing my experience and guiding others through the big book satisfies why I'm here. I have accepted that I am alive and present in this world and that I will go through the process of death. I don't know what that will look like, but I trust the same power that delivered me from this disease will be with me through the transition from life to spirit. And I will remain with him eternally. That's my belief. I believe all fears and questions will be answered, will be settled once I leave this body. 
huge gift and evidence of God was when the perfect peace I received when my mother died. I had just discovered, we know God led me to, a vision for you, a big book study. I went to the OA website, and of all the meetings listed, I tried one or two and then found vision, a continuous study of God's inspired word, the other big book. After misery pushed me out of a job of 36 years trying to get three more years before I retired, my old ideas, I had a plan and God had another. After trying and failing to change corporate, I retired and had the sacred experience of loving on, hugging, bathing, touching, lotioning, laughing with, crying over my mom for her last year on earth. I still can feel her skin on mine. In between me trying to control the disease of Alzheimer's, I would fix her. She falls, hits her head, and has brain damage. God orchestrated that last year. My mother, who most of my youth and young adult years, I couldn't forgive for the things she did. In program, I stopped digesting everything as my fault and turned to blame her, and I couldn't forgive her. Fortunately, as time went by, I was able to heal. Yet I turned away from so many opportunities to spend time with her. She was difficult. I had a busy family. My husband wanted me home. She would drive three hours to me every chance she got for years and years until she forgot the way. God and the Holy Spirit gave me fearless peace when she came back from the hospital to die at my house, to care for her, love on her, pray when I could intense and participate and watch her transcend. She did it with such peace. I was amazed. I found myself saying one of those human TV things, go to the light. <laughs> I imagine on the other side, you know, uh, my naivety, like God gave me the power to tell mother that she can go. I sense God and order, even in my losing the people I love, leading up to the ultimate loss of my mother, who I adored, feared, worshipped, struggled to be like, but I couldn't because I was me. Lifetime struggled to believe God matched me with the right mother. I deserve to be the daughter of such a beautiful woman. And then there's God's unbelievable timing. She died. The food addiction worsened. The cravings were horrendous intense. After her death, I started the steps while the grief of losing her sat in. When I finished working the steps, and the spiritual awakening happened. God healed the grief at the same time. I came out of the spiraling downward grief and never went back. Of course, I was still sad and at times cried, but I was on my way to a place that God would not have me go. He wiped out my addiction frenzy at the same time, two for the price of one, miracles that happened to me without my help, in my desperation, miracles I witnessed and continue to witness. Never have, it, ha, never have had to go back to my binge foods. In spite of the things removed, I still have an addictive mind. So there have been behaviors that God removed also. Healthy, okay food that I had to let go of because it became addictive. Foods that I never had a problem with, never had interest in. Others eat without a problem. I've had to pray about and eventually see God remove it from my plan. Of course, it doesn't make any sense to, at all to the normal person, but between me and God, we know why. Behaviors, eating while watching TV, never works for me. Compulsive spending, real life healing happened 
even witnessing my desire to stop wanting to compulsively spend. That wasn't me. My bottom, I went out and bought a new car. That night before, I hadn't had any plans to buy a car. And as I was buying it, I heard my mind say, this is not a good idea, but I lacked the strength to say no. And then I was devastated, just like with the food, the healing, my financial is turning around, the instant gratification, the allergy is moved, removed. It happened to me, desires to stop gossiping, criticizing my husband, being mean. I saw others as the problem. I was justified. But under God's light, in, this world, in his world, I can only get as close to him as I'm willing to mend the fences around me. Those fences keep me from him. Prompted to tithe, a religious belief, always wanted to, always felt guilty when I didn't. I wanted to control. I wanted to give money to who I thought needed it. God couldn't take care of these people. It wasn't dependent on me. All the frothy emotional pills didn't work, and then my heart changed. His grace and goodness aligned my heart with his will for me. Today is an opportunity I get to tithe. I don't think about it. I don't have to worry whether I can make it or not without the money. It seems it's more about the attitude of obedience. God doesn't need my money, but I need his teaching me faith. This practice is a practice of faith for me. I don't understand why I had the prompting to tithe and don't judge others. When others who practice this principle and said their financial was so much better when they tithe, I finally asked myself, if I never try it, how will I know what it would look like to do it? If I never experienced it, what lies beyond the call? None of us are on this line by mistake. We are chosen to hear the words of the big book. And whether we accept the invitation or not, it lies there for the taking. God bless you and thank you. And I'm done. Thank you so much, W. And now our final panelist, Katie F. Katie, star one. Yes. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm sorry. That didn't seem very long, so I was, um, yeah, just trying to get ready here. Um, good morning. I'm very grateful to be here. I'm Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I will set my timer. So what was it like? I'm supposed to be talking about how a new world came into view. And I'll just tell you briefly, um, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Um, There are so many things that have changed as a result of this program, it's hard to sum it up um, to articulate it. And um, so I'll start with what it was like. Physically, I was 27 years old, and now I'm 55. So you can do that math. It's a long time ago that I finally surrendered to this program. But that was after being in OA for six years actively, coming to meetings, sometimes daily for months on end. Um, But at this particular point, I had been in relapse for a year. I was rapidly approaching 200 pounds at 5'3". I was eating out of control. I thought there was no hope. I thought that um, this program didn't work. And so I just, I just really, I just really didn't believe that anything would ever change. But um, 
I finally surrendered and said, okay, instead of yes, but. And that is what I had always said, that uh, my circumstances were different. Um, it was harder for me. I had all these reasons why I couldn't work this program the way everyone else did. And I finally was ready to do what I was told. So now, um, after 28 years, I still have the same kind of um, abstinence that Amy G. described. Uh, the food is down. I'm honest, rigorously honest about what I put in my mouth on a meal-by-meal -meal basis to this day because that is how the disease sneaks into my life, through deception and dishonesty. So I want to share on how life has changed since the implementation of this way of life. The new world for me, well, I thought in my mind that once I got thin, I would meet the man of my dreams. So after almost a year of abstinence, instead of walking off into the sunset with the first man who showed interest in me, and I dated for a few months, uh, he broke my heart. The pain was excruciating because it was so scary for me to face life alone, which is what, of course, I thought it would be. I thought that was my one opportunity, it didn't work out, and now I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I didn't understand why God was allowing this. Um, so I picked up the phone, um, and I talked to someone who had a decade of abstinence, which for me at that time, I didn't know anyone else who had any longer uh, a period of abstinence than that. Um, she was married, and she told me that I would change so much through this program that it would be better if I waited five more years to get married. I wanted to hang up on her. I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. Um, I wanted to scream my head off. I couldn't, I couldn't handle that kind of pain, but I did. Um, I said, okay. And I pressed into God and doing what I believed he wanted me to do. Um, so I just want to pause here for a moment and read these bedevilments because I can assure you that um, this is what my life was like from page 52. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. So um, I can look at this list today and say, yeehaw, that is the past. This is, that is the old Katie. And that sounds so lovely and great, but it is today at this moment because I haven't left the house today. Um, so I already shared that I didn't marry the first um, man that came along once I was thin. Well, that emotional roller coaster of relationships went on for six more years, wanting relationships to work out, and they didn't. Then I just said, forget it. I'm a happy, successful woman, but I lived in Colorado by this point, um, and I'm originally from Virginia, where I am now. And this is where my whole family lived, so I decided to move back to Virginia. I got here and fell apart once again. I thought I would die from the emotions I was feeling. And that was something that the food did, did give to me, the ability to not feel anything. Feeling my feelings was not something I knew how to do. Um, without the numbing of the food, as it turned out, um, that I pressed into God, which is what I was told to do, and I went on a blind date four months later um, 
after I'd moved back to Virginia and I got married nine months later. Physically, I had been told I would have trouble getting pregnant. Uh, instead, I got pregnant on my honeymoon. My husband had two small children, so in less than two years, I went from a 30-something single woman to married, stay-home mom with two stepchildren and a baby. Um, and the stepchildren were three and five, and I li- was living in the middle of an 800-acre farm, and that is where I am at this moment. My reaction to this life was to keep working my program. Who would know if I picked up the food? I could just fade away, and who would know it? All my friends live two or more hours away, um, but that's not been my experience. I have not had to go back to the food, even though I've gone through the loneliness of being at home with small children, sleep deprivation, financial concerns, and everything else that goes along with making the decision to be a stay-at-home mom. I had the input from a lot of people of people, but my memory of my life growing up was that everything is supposed to be neat and in order at all times. One of my goals was to have that everything, that, um, to have that, to have my house, you know, always be nice, and that was, you know, the barometer that went by. I saw, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fact that women sort of, uh, their house is an extension of themselves, and so, you know, that's what I thought would um, was the measure that everything was right and was going okay. Um, and so at, at some point during, um, while I was a stay-at-home mom, I did start working part-time. And I was working um, out of, you know, a couple hours away, and I would be gone for a couple days at a time, and different people would take care of the kids, my sister, my mother, my other sister. But this one particular weekend, um, my husband had all four kids at home, and I got home earlier than I was supposed to. And uh, I got home, and the house was a complete wreck. And I thought, um, you know, I was really tired from working so many hours, and I just, I was furious. I was just furious. But I sat on the couch, and I waited for them to get home. And, you know, expected them to apologize and run around like I always did when my came home and and I had the house a mess. Um, But I was just sitting there and I could hear them coming in and they were all laughing. They knew I was there because they saw my car. Uh, But they come running up and say, oh, mommy, I'm sorry, and and, uh, try to, you know, make everything all perfect. It was, all I knew is that they were happy and they were not afraid of me and they were not trying to people please me. And I saw it from a completely different perspective. And, you know, that was about 15 years ago, and it's not changed. You know, I, I still have this um, thing that I, I do like my house to be neat, but I don't use it as a uh, measuring stick of how much someone else loves me by what they do, and I don't use it as a way to beat people up. And that is a huge change from where I came from growing up. Uh, Because as I said, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And that is still the way, you know, uh, I know that my mother views things, you know, is that that doing things for me and and keeping everything perfect is somehow, you know, the measure of um, everything's okay. And, And it's not. You know, another um, area that has completely changed are my relationships with people. 
you know, most recently, um, I, I did a 12, uh, uh, 12-step study. Um, it's a year-long study with um, this group. It's, it's like a, you know, it's, it's like a class. It was so intense. And since doing that, I um, had rewritten the seven-step prayer. And one of the things was to not take myself so seriously and to not... Um, to just accept life on life's terms. And through that, I became very discontent with my job. And I just thought, you know, this is supposed to change because this is just not enough. You know, this is not good enough. This is, you know, I should be somewhere where I'm helping people all the time. And, you know, I got more and more discontent. And as I got more and more discontent, things got worse there. And, you know, I fell into negativity with um, a coworker and started believing uh, some lies. And, you know, I got really discontent. And so I decided to look for another job. And I uh, came very close to getting another job. Um, But in that process, I kept praying. And I kept asking God to show me something different, to show me if I was supposed to walk away and show me um, just my part and if there was anything different. And nothing changed, nothing changed, nothing changed. It just kept, um, you know, I kept questioning whether I was even supposed to be there. Uh, But I did not blow up. I did not, I resisted the urge a hundred times to go in and tell my boss exactly what I thought about everything that was going on and him and, you know, why is he like this and why did he say that? And, you know, I knew I had enough program in me to know that that is not what you do. And, you know, people talked me off that cliff a hundred times because instead of, you know, wearing my heart on my sleeve, which is what I did in disease, I, um, you know, I used the tools of this program and, I practice these principles in all my affairs, which means I don't tell someone, you know, you really made me mad. I'm not mad at you anymore. You know, so I resented you, but um, I don't resent you anymore when they had no idea. You know, I learned a long time ago that you don't uh, do a nine-step amends to make yourself feel better and make them feel worse. So I resisted that. Um, just over and over again. And in September, I um, was at a conference, and it was a spiritual conference, and people were praying, and and people were praying for me, and, you know, it's so hard, it's so hard to work, it's so hard to be in the kind of job you're in. And, you know, there was just this shift. There was this turn in the way I saw it. Um, And everything has changed. I mean, not only has my heart changed where I can accept that this is where I am, but physically I'm not doing the same job I was doing. It has changed to be all of the things that I wanted it to be. And I did not have to burn that bridge. I didn't have to, you know, just go running out of the building and make this traumatic uh, exit like I wanted to do. I didn't have to do any of those things. Um, so that's one relationship. And then that's the most recent thing that has changed. But 
Another thing, and this has come to fruition recently, is with my husband's ex-wife. Um, I was pretty much friends with her. I tried to be friends with her when I was a stay-at-home mom and uh, the kids were little. Um, the kid, we had joint custody and we went back and forth. And um, So I, you know, being, you know, the helpful person, I communicated with her the most um, and did it, you know, quote, helping my husband. And it blew up in my face one day about, you know, again, like 15 years ago. But, um, you know, this was after a couple of years of trying to have this relationship. And it was just, it was so exhausting and it was so hard. And uh, I thought it was one way. And it was, you know, my husband kept telling me, you don't understand. (laughs) You don't understand. It's not, it's not what you think. And sure enough, he was right. And it blew up in my face. And I had to walk away, and I um, made amends for my part, but then I just made a shift in how I uh, was with that relationship. And, you know, because I made amends, there was never, um, you know, I could look her in the eye. I cried when her, when her mother died. I, you know, <laughs> could go to family events, and things have been slowly, slowly um Okay. And then in the last month, um, my oldest stepdaughter is now 25, and she um, is engaged, and she invited me and her mother and her future mother-in-law and my daughter and my stepdaughter and her other people in her wedding, and we all went together to um, pick out a wedding dress for her. And as I sat down there and was, you know, just comfortable sitting there and being a part of that experience, I just thought, you know, this is this would never have been possible without this program because I would have just beat that to death and kept up the angry, bitter, backstabbing uh, way that it was, um, and it would just be uncomfortable for everyone. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you can't buy. This is the kind of stuff that um, you don't read about uh, in uh, the promotion for Overeaters Anonymous. But this is abundant living. This is being able to uh, walk down the street and there is not a living soul that I could run into that I would say, oh, my gosh, I can't see them. You know, I've had bad, well, I could just go on and on because I've been absent a long time in this life. This life is completely different than what I thought it would be, and it's a thousand times better. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Katie F. Thank you to all our panelists, Amy G., Cliff C., Deb, and Katie F., Their contact information will be available at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We're now going to transition to question and answers. If you have a question for one of our panelists, you can unmute and identify yourself, present your question to our panelists. Any questions this morning? Can I have Amy C.'s phone number? Oh. All phone numbers will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned. Thank you. Anyone have a question? 
I'd like yeah, to make I, a comment. I do. I'd like to make a comment. What a wonderful presentation from all of them. And, Leah, you do a great job. Great service to us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Question? Yes, have a Sarah B. Sarah B. Okay, one moment. Who else has a question this morning? Gail P. I didn't catch the name. Gail P. Gail, I believe I heard. Anyone else? Chrissy. Chrissy. Did I hear Nancy? Or who who else besides Chrissy? Nancy Ara. Okay, Nancy. Thanks, Nancy. Okay, Hi. let's let's start with that grouping. Sarah B, go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you everyone for your service and your stories. They were really unbelievable. I'm uh Sarah B, um a recovering compulsive eater from Washington DC coming back from relapse. I hope this is an appropriate question, um and if not, I'm happy to take an answer offline, but I um had a lot of recovery, and then after 16 years of marriage, had a daughter, and that completely derailed my recovery from the sleeplessness, the fatigue, the um, being up all night nursing, which stimulated my appetite. It was really a disaster. Thank God I'm working with a big book sponsor now. I feel like I'm getting deeper into recovery than I've ever been. And thank God also I am uh, expecting another daughter um, this early this spring and, um, you know, trying to live in the moment but also trying to um, plan um, to do things differently this time and keep my abstinence, which is what I want for me and certainly for my family. So I don't know if um, people have any tips for that. Um, I just found the, the fatigue, the extreme fatigue so, so challenging, and I'm open to any suggestions for um, – doing it differently this time. Thank you. Sarah, I, I, I love that question. However, I bet you'll be helped uh, in a greater fashion on a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Which um, is totally, totally fair. I'm, I'm happy okay, to, just, to pursue that privately. Okay. I mean, if someone wants to address it quickly, that's fine. If our, any of our panelists uh, want to address it quickly, otherwise I just uh, recommend one-on-one -on -one conversation so you can be helped in the best fashion. Yeah, thank you. Uh, may I offer Sarah to please call me in there? Yeah, certainly. Does I will, that? Amy. Please, please do. I'd be happy to give you the tips that were shared with me. Thank you, Amy. Same here. This is KDS. Katie, Great. I'll call you too. Thank you. Okay. okay. I, if I could just say, you know, it sounds so glib to say, but really it is, it's one day at a time. And, you know, one of the stories I was going to share was that, um, you know, when I did find myself uh, a stay-at-home mom and had an infant and had this three- and five-year-old and really felt like I had no idea what I was doing, um, I remember after, you know, I, I got it down, I was like, oh, wow. You know, I got the diaper changed, and I got the, um, you know, I didn't fall off the changing table, and I had it all going well, and I thought, oh, this isn't bad. And uh, he was eight days old. <laughs> and I remember, I mean, I remember thinking, he's eight days old. Oh, my God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this for 18 years or, you know, 18 months of changing diapers or however long it is? And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's and uh, 
just suiting up and showing up every day. But please call with Battle Pass. Thanks so much. Okay, Gail T., your turn. Question, please. Star one to unmute. I believe I heard a Gail. All right, maybe I was incorrect on that. Chrissy. Hi, it's Chrissy M. Recovered from both over here in Anorexic from New Jersey. And thank you so much. It was really inspired and beautiful this morning. I have a question that um, I hope I hope you can answer. I hope it's not too vague. Um, anyone who wants to answer it, um, I find that living this new way, and and all 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 of the speakers um, touched on the fact that after um, working through the steps, that they approach people, situations, and life in a different way. That's what the whole new world and a whole new experience. It's a new new experience, a new way of living. I just wanted to know that I find that in working, the, this is for me and I'm very new, I'm only a year um, and plus in, in abstinence and working the program this way um, through the big book. I find that my way of doing life is a lot slower slowed down, like I have to wait on God sometimes and like someone who wants an answer from me that's kind of like living the life that I used to live that just, you know, they're on New York time. I just find that I I need to accept the fact that living life on the spiritual realm slows things out a bit. Would Would you agree or is that just because I'm newer in in the program, do you find the conscious contact comes more immediately as time goes on, or do things just is it just always a process? Thank you. Thanks, Chrissy. Which panelists would like to respond? Well, I can I can address that a little bit. Go ahead, Amy. Okay. Uh, thanks, Chrissy. Well, everything seems slower to me because in active compulsive overeating, I was impulsive, compulsive. I mean, weight was not a word in my vocabulary. I mean, I just, I didn't think, you know, I just reacted to life. And for me, it definitely was uh, a a slower process. You know, I I had to learn, you know, in some ways, you know, after having worked through the steps and all that, my reactions to people sometimes were the same. And then I realized after that it was wrong. And thank God we have the 10th step for that. So, and then the next time maybe I'd be in the middle of talking to someone and I'd go, wait a minute, this is not right. And then I would try to change it. And then down the road a little further, before I even spoke, I'd be like, thank you, God, because I'd be pausing, going, I'm about to say something here. And, oh, oh wait a minute, wait a minute. That's totally selfish and self-centered. You know, and God kept giving me circumstances where I learned how to process through those feelings very quickly um, so that my reaction time may seem slower, but it was the correct action, I believe, to be the ac- action that allowed me to be of maximum service to my family, to my friends, to my coworkers, to my community, et cetera, what God would have me do. So 
So, yes, that process for me has definitely been slower. It's been progress, not perfection, but it is a process, and I feel like as long as I'm headed in the right direction, staying connected to God, you know, through the steps, then I will continue to get better. So now my responses in some areas are very quick, but they're the correct, I believe they are the right way to live, you know. Sometimes there's still things that I get a little more stuck on. I mean, everybody's got their own buttons and issues that they work with that are harder than others based on whatever, life circumstances, how they grew up, what they perceived. You know, those things may take a little bit longer. But I definitely see, I definitely hear, you know, and look for, you know, progress in that. Um, Anyways, that's enough out of me. I hope that helps. Thank you, Amy. Any other panelists want to respond? Otherwise, we'll move on. Okay, I'll take that as a no. Nancy R., your question, please. Hi. Um, Leah, do you hear me? We do. Oh, well, good morning. And uh, I'd like to thank each panelist for your awesome shares. I got so much out of it. And I would just like for uh, the panelists to share with me how they distinguish between their will and God's will. Thank you. Okay, Nancy. Panelists, do come forward with a response, please. This is Katie F. Katie F., go ahead. Okay, and then I think um, the gentleman wanted to share after me. So for me, you know, I really thought that I was in God's will when I was looking for a new job is my most recent example. And And I think it was God's will for me to look for a job. But I just trust that God will open doors that are meant to be open and will close doors that are to be closed. And that has been my experience is that I keep doing the foot, I keep doing the footwork, but then if nothing happens, um, you know, I don't, I I view it, you know, the same way as I do weighing and measuring my food. You know, I don't just shove it in and shove it in and shove it in um, and say, oh, well, this is just two cups. You know, I don't, um, and that's the same way with my life. When something just doesn't seem right, God makes it clear to me. I, I have to trust that still small voice um, and trust what other people are saying. And, you know, I, I know I don't get it perfectly. I know that, you know, it's not, um, it's not a magical formula because it's, every circumstance is so, is so different. I mean, no one could have told me that this, you know, six months ago that I would feel this way about my job today Um, or that the changes that have happened would have happened. You know, I couldn't make that happen. So I think that trusting God is just allowing the circumstances to continue to unfold and then doing the next right thing um, or walking away if uh, you are given the courage to do that. And that's what I have to say on that. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Cliff, would you like to give a response as well? Uh, Thank you. Yes, that'd be nice. Um, Well, I I appreciate the question because I I certainly didn't know what was the difference between God's will and my will uh, when I started. And, um, uh, And even now it's, you know, I, I still like that paragraph between the promises because that's sort of my barometer 
because if I if I look at what I'm doing uh, and it's out of resentment, fear, selfishness, or dishonesty, I know that that's not God's will. I know that that's me. I know that I I'm having some kind of anxiety over that, and uh, and it really gives me an opportunity to check, you know, and see am I doing something because you know, am I doing it consistent with what I think God would have me do? And, uh, and if not, then I need to go and make some more phone calls. I need to, to write about it. I need to go to a meeting. Uh, I need to pray about it. And usually when I'm making a, a, having the decision or needing to do something, if I feel at peace and uh, have that serenity around it without the anxiety, then, you know, just like I, I mentioned, I had a, a terrible thing to have to deal with uh, in the last, you know, few weeks. And uh, I didn't, even the thing that God wanted me to do was creating an uneasiness, but it was not, there, there was some fear. It was not a self-centered fear. It was other-centered and uh but it was something that i had to that had god wanted me to go through and not go around and uh you know uh i i I appreciate one of the things that i have heard in programs sort of related to one of the earlier questions is that for every year of abstinence i get an extra second between my thought and what comes out of my mouth and uh and thank you god you know before you know there was the, it was an instantaneous uh response and reaction and uh destruction um but uh but now i do have uh a few more a few seconds to think and that makes a lot of difference so thanks thank you cliff thank you nancy r for that question I believe I heard Anne Marie with a question, although your voice, Anne Marie, was very, very faint. Are you still interested in asking a question? Yes, this is Anne Marie. Better. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, this is Anne Marie M. Um, in South Carolina. Um, uh, the first speaker, Amy, um, well, first of all, uh, Leah, thank you so much for your service, and I appreciate all of the uh, speakers. Um, Amy, uh, the first speaker, um, thanks for mentioning the tools. I, I really appreciate that. Um, do you still use the tools? Um, and if so, how do you use them? Cliff, uh, the second speaker, um, is exercise still a part of your program? Um, and do you still have difficulty with that? Uh, Debbie Double, Deb W, third speaker, what was your spiritual spiritual experience, do you remember it, and um, what was it like? And uh, the fourth speaker, Amy, um, were you able to learn um, how to be, uh, how not to base your feelings on other people's behavior by doing the steps in OA, or uh, did you need to use another program, or did you have to go to counseling? And I appreciate you um, <laughs> at least asking all those questions. Thank you again. Anne-Marie. <laughs> which which is your favorite question? Okay, I guess I get just the one. Okay, well, just so we can open it up for other questions sure. as well. Okay, they're all well, good so questions. They're I all good know. questions. Okay. It's hard to pick one. Go ahead. 
All right, I'll go with the, the fourth one. Amy, were you able to, uh, um, to learn how not to base your feeling on other people's behavior by doing the steps in OA, or did you need some other kind of program or counseling? Um, that, that's the question I took, thanks. <laughs> I think he did you mean Katie? You keep saying the fourth person, or did you mean the fourth question? So oh, Katie fourth, and I. Oh, yeah, Amy no. was the first speaker, and Katie was the last speaker. I got you. I got you confused. It's the fourth speaker, Amy. It, Katie, right? Katie. Fourth speaker. Okay, Katie. I'm sorry, Katie. <laughs> I like Amy. Yes, I'm sorry, Katie. I'm, <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Um, yes, I'm Katie F, and uh, I I have not gone to counseling. Um, you know, I was going to counseling when I first was in uh, abstinent, but um, so yeah, no, I would say it's, it's pressing into the steps. I mean, I have enlarged my spiritual life. I am very active in, uh, you know, the religion of my choice, um, but it is it is working the steps. It is working using principles that I've learned from this program, um, and you know, as Amy G mentioned, slogans. You know, not taking myself so seriously. I don't know where that comes from. Um, you know, not um, what other people think of me is not my business, you know, and and just playing things out um, through the end of, uh, of, you know, does it matter? <laughs> does it really matter what this other person thinks? And also, I think it is it does have a lot to do with the... Um, the third step of, you know, I had food was my higher power, but then I also would, you know, fill in the blank. I mean, just anything. I could make anything my higher power, and that included what other people thought of me. And, you know, uh, taking the principle of God is my employer, you know, that's what I have carried into my life at work. And, and in general, you know, my job for many years was being a stay-at-home mom, and so you know, I made that pleasing God above pleasing, you know, myself or pleasing my mother who my husband, you know, said it was like there was a ghost in my house all the time when I was so crazy about, you know, everything being a certain way as if, you know, the police were going to come or there was a ghost telling me, you know, everything had to be perfect and just all those different things. But they definitely are program um principles and you know I'll just jump in with your question of using the tools I mean yes I still use the tools today um I know you asked that of Amy G but um you know we we work very similar programs and you know that is how I work the steps is through um the various you know writing things out I mean I find that writing things out gets to a different level of understanding than when I just talk about something ad nauseum um, God, God just shows up in a different way when I do that. And, you know, there's just all different ways I have prayed for people, prayed for situations, you know, just different, different things, but they're all on um, program principles. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Again, Anne-Marie, thank you for those great questions. I certainly encourage uh, conversations with our panelists uh, in order to respond to those specific questions that you had. Thank you very much. Who else has questions this morning for our panelists? Maura Z. Maura Z. Gail T. Gail T. 
Who else? Carol G. Carol G. And anyone else? This is our last invitation for questions this morning. Alice Y. Alice Y. Okay, anyone else? Okay, that sounds like a group to me. Maura Z, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Um, at least one of the speakers, and possibly two, used the phrase to press in. And I've been having a very difficult time and have been trying to, you know, certainly do that. And I was just wondering if they had any particular tips, um, any particular processes they go through other than or in addition to, rather, um, 10 and 11. Um, So I would be um, grateful to hear anybody's insights on that. Thanks. This is Deb W. Go ahead, Deb. I didn't actually use the uh, term press in, but when I use the term dependency, um, I uh, that is what that means to me, too. Um, when I first was looking for a sponsor, I had a person that, you know, uh, told me that my first uh, job is to get in alliance with God. My, my source is is God. You know, I, our sponsors are great. We need them. But the dependency is on God. It says that also in the big book. And so um, when I was able to open myself to doing some work, uh, which means meditation, prayer, um, trying to keep the conscious contact open with with God, you know, actually recognizing God on a daily basis, then that opened the door to everything else. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, constantly uh, believe that pressing in, depending, learning how to depend on God is a part of our walk. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Any other panelists want to respond? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in. Go ahead. Amy. Or Cliff. Uh, okay. Um, you know, I'm a very uh, action-oriented girl, and, and like I was sharing, to me, my process when I would come up against situations would be to first accept it, trust it, and then take action and do service. And for me, that the first part of pressing into God was constantly reminding myself that I needed to accept the situation exactly the way it was supposed to be and that I was going to trust God, that God's got my back. As a matter of fact, God's got my back and pressed in were like, mantras for me because when I would start to worry about for example the situation where uh, over financial insecurity I could I could start to worry I would start to worry and then I would have to say to my I couldn't just say to myself stop worrying but what I did instead is I say God I accept the situation as you would have it I am trusting that you've got my back and I am pressing in so to me it was a a conscious uh, refraining from negative thinking and worry of going down into that black hole that never worked well for me. You know, my best thinking got me into this disease and, you know, and so my, my, my thinking had to be on a different level and I had to commit to a structure and a process of doing that on a daily basis so that whenever I started that worry, I'd go, "Uh uh-uh, I'm accepting, I'm trusting, and I'm acting on that. And I would pick up the phone. I'd talk to a newcomer. Nobody got out of my, I couldn't get out of my head better than by being of service to another suffering compulsive overeater. I mean, I had to consciously think about what I was going to do to press in on a daily basis. 
For me, that was on my knees in the morning, on my knees at night. And when we are agitated, it talks about it in the big book, you know, we, we pause. We, we look for an intuitive thought or action. For, well, for me, that thought and action was a process that I had in place that was ready to go as soon as those worries started. That's how I pressed in. I had to be given instructions and, and create a process for which I would continue to press in on a daily basis without fail. I mean, I didn't skip meditation. That was for me like breathing. I did not skip prayer. I did not. Those are things that I did whether I was feeling the worry or not. I had to put money into the savings account. You know what I mean? Because this stress of this financial insecurity went up and down for months and years. So how was I to handle that over a long period of time? And over a long period of time, you have to have the foundation underneath you of pressing in. And for me, pressing in was active action steps of accepting, trusting, and then acting and sometimes it was acting as if, okay, God, I believe you got my back. I believe you got my back. I had to act as if. I had to act as if. I hope that helps. Thank you, Amy. Cliff, I heard you pop up there. Did you want to yes, respond? Yes, thank you. Uh, I would. I, I like I like the term press in, you know, and uh, I, I've heard that before. And I guess in a way uh, it's, you know, when, when something is, is going on in my life that's causing me anxiety, the first thing I think about, because I make three phone calls a day and, and accept others, uh, I automatically turn to the phone. The phone is, you know, gives me that immediate relief, if you will, because I'm asking for help. You know, I'm calling somebody, and, and I didn't usually ask for help before, but, but now I'll ask for help. And uh, because that's a meeting in and of itself, I may go to a meeting. I may also uh, sit down and write. And, and particularly, I love the slogans and I love the uh, uh, meditations. And even if I just take the meditation for the day and rewrite it longhand, you know, that I get in the same breathing pattern. It's a form of meditation for me. I get to understand it. It gets to become a part of me. And, uh, uh, and in essence, I, I find that almost an act of surrender to God. And, uh, you know, so that, so that I am able to have a more clear understanding of what God wants me to do. So, uh, I, I think that it's, you know, I think that, that for me, at least, it's not necessarily what I force myself to do. It's what I uh, I now do as a matter of habit, as a matter of conduct, and uh, very grateful because I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to eat over it. I don't eat over it. So thanks. Thank you, Cliff, and thank you, Morazi, for the question. Gail T, your turn. Question, please. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, I'm in the car. It's a very quick question uh, and some information. Because of my part of being a part of Visions for You, I've asked my home group in Lockhart to have a group inventory and they in a group conscience and they have all agreed to this. And I think this um special event program that happened this morning would be a wonderful thing for everyone to listen to. So my request is would you, at the end of the meeting, put the code number on on before you get off so that I can send everyone the link? Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for your question. Carol G., your turn. 
Thank you, Leah. It's Carol G. Good morning, Vision for You, and thank you so much, panellists. Um, my question is a question that I get asked quite frequently from other people. And um, Okay, so I'm newly recovered, really. Uh, it's coming up for about two years, so I don't have that much experience. I heard in what you were all sharing, that attitude that has changed and that depth to which you, you've had that ego deflated. And my question is about that. So ego deflation and self-limiting behavior. Um, many of my prospects, and I include myself in this, find that now the ego is down, motivation and ambition have waned. That desire to push out into the world seems much harder when we had that urge to prove ourselves, it seemed much easier. So my question that I get asked constantly is, now I'm recovered and I'm on God's will, can I reach for the stars as I once did or do I just settle for what God has given me? Could you please help me with that question, please? Thank you, Carol. Panelists? This is Deb W. Go ahead, Deb. Thank you. That's a wonderful question, and I will only be able to give, you know, my my little thoughts, and others will give you better probably. Um, I think um, for me who, you know, raced through life and raced through people, um, having my ego deflated, and believe you me, I still have plenty ego uh, that has to be deflated, uh, and will probably be deflated till I pass away. But um, I am able to still do the steps, do things that I want to do, have desires and visions, and you know. But I can just wean from those the defects that stepped on others' feet. I don't believe that my ideals, my visions, my hopes, my dreams have to be stifled, I just believe this process lets me pull out the ineffective behavior. And that's my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Any other Hi. panelists? Cliff? Yeah, this is Cliff. Uh, wow, thank you for that question, uh, Carol G. I, um, you know, it, it is interesting that, uh, you know, even at this point, you know, I've had I've had people who have asked me to write down my story and, uh, and, and others who have commented and I've wanted to do so. And I've seen other people who have done it and, and created in a book form and, and something along those lines. Uh, and I had started thinking about this, you know, after I had lost the weight, after I had gotten some of the recovery, but, uh, but, there was always something in the, well, actually in the forefront of my mind that, you know, uh, part of what this program says is that, uh, you know, we give away what was so freely given to us. And I have to make sure that, number one, that I am keeping God number one in my life. If I am, again, acting selfishly, dishonestly, out of fear or resentment, I need to check myself I need to call my sponsor. I need to make sure that the you know what my actions are about, and uh, and usually 
you know, as long as I know that I'm doing this out of love, if there's some sort of, you know, personal motivation, but if that motivation is being stimulated by God and, and love, then I think it's okay. If, if uh, you know, if not, I mean, and if remuneration is part of it and it's fair and it's whatever is, uh, uh, you know, again, asking God in, in all of that, I think it would be fine as long as I am respecting the principles of this program. Uh, but I think that takes time. And I am so grateful that the, the people who have been sharing have a lot more time in this program than I did and that, uh, that they are a resource for me and for everyone to, to reach out to. So uh, as long as we respect the program, I think uh, our egos, our motivations stay uh, aligned with God's. So thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, all panelists. And thank you, Carol G., for that question. And our final question for this morning comes from Alice Y. Um, thank you. Um, I believe a couple of the panelists talked about uh, being in relapse. And I was just wondering, uh, while you were in relapse, how did you get back to that level of surrender and willingness um, that's required to put the food down and, and work the program? Thank you. Thank you, Alice. Dear panelists, who would like to respond to Alice's question this morning? I guess I'll speak up. I really, you know, I mentioned relapse, and, you know, I'll just try to stay quickly because I keep talking, but this is Deb W., and, uh, yeah, I was in relapse. I had a tragedy happen in my family. Uh, I can't tell you why at that particular time I went into relapse because I had two other tragedies that immediately I came back, called people, and kept moving. I mean, extreme tragedies to me. Um, If I think about it in in retrospect, I believe my disease continued to grow uh, all through the years, even though I practiced a certain type of uh, plan of eating all those years. Um, And to be truthful, toward the end, before I went to relapse, I did see signs of some of the things that I allowed in this food plan, um, struggling with those things. I believe that I was so busy in service that uh, a lot of the times I looked away from the need that I uh, fulfilled when I went uh, and really was working a program um, at hard, as the person says earlier, pressing in. Um, I came back... um, It was hard for me to stick in the room, but I did come back and got in the big book. I knew that I would have in my spirit, I knew that I would find recovery again, and thank God, you know, I was right. And so with that, I'm going to stop and let others share. Anyone else wanted to respond to that question? This is Katie F. Yes, go ahead, Katie. Um, yes, I was in relapse when I, you know, before I got abstinent. I mean, it sounds kind of stupid. Like, why would you? <laughs> I mean, that's where everybody comes from is that they're in the disease. But I was in the rooms. And um, for me, I, I I just did not really believe that um, it would ever be as bad as it got. 
and I had not hit a low enough bottom. Um, and the difference today is that I don't say, you know, I don't hold on to my ideas. I'm willing to listen to what someone else has to say, but then I also have to just um, give the credit to my higher power and the working of these steps because it says in the big book that we will, um, you know, when tempted, we will recoil as if from a hot flame when we are um, recovered. And that is my experience today, that if I think about, um, you know, we have in America, we have a uh, series now of holidays coming up, you know, for about the next six or seven weeks that is just so geared around food and uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if I were to think, oh, well, you know, I could just eat on that one day and then go back to uh, to doing my normal thing, well, I immediately feel nauseous. I immediately feel like, I mean, even just saying it right now, I feel like I could throw up at that thought. I have no desire to do that. And so, you know, we've talked about pressing in. You know, for me, it's, it's a set-aside prayer, um, you know, and just saying, I don't know what I don't know, and I can't see what I can't see, and I'm willing to, put, to wait through this. And, you know, I, in the beginning, it was white knuckle at times, you know, very difficult situations where I just thought, how am I going to get through this without, you know, being pressured into eating? And, you know, today I, I don't um, have that experience, but I couldn't, I couldn't get there until I went through it. And, you know, so all I can say is that you have to trust the other people and to, you know, make a network of people who will help you uh, one day at a time. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Alice Y. And thank you to all those who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, panelists. Beautiful shares this morning. Amy G., Cliff C., Deb W., Katie F., we thank you very much for your generous spirit and service this morning. I'm going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.